This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the uh, fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, let me tell you a little bit where we're going the next two weeks and uh, make you aware of a few resources, and uh, then we will uh, jump right in. Uh, next Sunday morning, we have a, uh, really, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I've been wanting to have the, him, a uh, guest, we're having a guest speaker. I've been wanting really to have him since we started the church, but uh, I'm thrilled that, and to let you know that next week uh, we'll have Mark Mullery preach here. He is a pastor of our sister church in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, and really one of the best uh, one of the best teachers in uh, our little network of churches. So anyway, he'll be here with us next Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, uh, I'll be speaking here and doing some Q&A for those who are, um, if you have children or have questions about baptism and children, we'll be covering that. A couple of resources I want to make you aware of. Today I'm going to be uh, launching into this in a second. I'm going to be talking about evangelizing children. On your way out, uh, there is an article... Uh, available for you called um, Evangelizing Children. And this is from Grace Community Church, where uh, John MacArthur is the pastor. And so this is an article that will be available. We have one per family on your way out. Also, at the Resource Center, we have a book that I would just really recommend. I'll be talking about this book next Sunday night um, in more detail, but it's called Your Child's Profession of Faith. Your Child's Profession of Faith. So that is available out there at the book table. You can buy a copy of that if you would like it. Okay, let's pray, and then we will uh, jump into Deuteronomy 6. God, we thank you today that you are doing the work of uh, building your kingdom, that you are passing the faith on from one generation to another and to another. And Lord, that is a great thrill for us to see you at work. And we pray today that as we consider this topic, that you would speak to us, that you would um, grant us faith as a church to see the baton passed, that you would grant us great hope in you, and that, Lord, we would feel both the privilege, uh, the burden, and the responsibility to be those who are passing on the faith to the next generation. So I pray that you would fill me with your spirit now, enable me to proclaim this passage with clarity, and I pray that you would just uh, equip us this morning to be those who are passing the faith on. Spirit of God, come and speak through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What we are in a series uh, on the topic of baptism, that's really wrapping up, in terms of a Sunday morning series, that's wrapping up right now, this morning. But we're in a series, we've done two messages on the topic of baptism, and we have explained that baptism is uh, for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so an important question that emerges from that, that teaching and that conversation is, what about young people? What about children? Uh, what about baptizing children? And that is a, an important question. When should they be baptized? When should they take communion? And while I'll 
uh, handle some of the details of that, some thoughts about that next week. Today, I want to talk about a subject that's way more important. I mean, you may think that's important. This is way more important than that. And this is a subject that underlines that subject. And it's namely, uh, how are we to evangelize our children? Because the question of the sacraments is secondary. The primary question is, who is a believer? And so this morning, I want to look at the topic of the gospel for church kids. The gospel for church kids. And that is an important topic that affects all of us. I want to just make an appeal, not that anyone would be tempted to check out, but I want to make an appeal that, uh, that everyone view this as relevant to them, to each of us. Um, you know, first of all, we're not a church made up of special interest groups, uh, but what affects one of us affects all of us. So obviously this message will have direct effect if you're a parent or a grandparent. But if you're not, this message will still be relevant to you because one day you may be a parent or you may serve in children's ministry and work with children or uh, you may be, be friends with families in the church. Perhaps you don't have your own children. Maybe you are a friend with families in the church um, that have children, and so their concerns are your concerns. And we all carry a concern for the well-being of those in our church. We all carry a concern that the young people in our church would know Jesus Christ in a living and in a real way. That is important to us now, and that's important to our future as well, that the baton be passed and that the next generation uh, rise up and take leadership in, in our church and carry the ball forward in terms of our gospel mission. So this is a vital topic that affects all of us. We all carry a concern that the next generation would know Jesus Christ and would live uh, experientially under his lordship. And it is that concern that is being addressed in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy 6, there is a running theme that sort of goes through the chapter. Um, and the theme is that God's people are responsible to pass on to the next generation an experiential knowledge of the person and work of God. That each generation is responsible to pass on to the next generation an experiential knowledge of the person and the work of God. For us, that would be Jesus Christ. They were looking forward to the day Christ was, would come, but of course he has come. So for us, it would be an experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is our goal, to pass that on. Now here is the context. I, I was thinking about this. This really, I, I'm not too smart in a lot of ways, but this message should have probably come like right after the Ten Commandments, because that's where this shows up in the Bible. This is right after the Ten Commandments. If you look at Deuteronomy 5, you see Moses retelling the Ten Commandments to the people of God. And so what is happening in Deuteronomy is the people of God are gathered. They are about to cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. And Moses is reviewing the law. It's so important. He's reviewing the law so that the people of God will know how they are to live once they get into the promised land. And he's reviewing all that God has done for them. He reviews that God has brought them out of Egypt. And we'll see that highlighted again in this chapter. And he's uh, talking about how they are to live. And so he goes through all of the Ten Commandments. 
And he not only goes through the Ten Commandments, but he, re, he reminds them of the experience at Mount Sinai as well. So when we studied the Ten Commandments just a few weeks ago, out of Exodus 20, I referred to this passage, Deuteronomy 5, because it gives some description about how the Ten Commandments were delivered. So this is where we find that there's a fire on the mountain. The voice of God is coming, and there's fire. And, of course, the mountain's trembling, and, um, and both the content and the delivery of the Ten Commandments, its context and its content, they just shake God's people to the core. And so as they're about to go into the Promised Land, Moses wants to ensure that all the people remember this. Does everyone remember that we were slaves, does everyone remember that God appeared to us? Does everyone remember that he delivered us and then gave us a law? Does everyone remember what that law was? Does everyone remember what it was like when God brought that law? And, and actually, all of you guys said, tell God to stop talking. We're about to die. Moses, you talk, but don't let God talk to us. That was the response when they encountered the living God. And now he's wanting to ensure that the transforming event of encountering the living God goes with them into the promised land and not only goes with them, but then is passed on (coughs) to the following generations. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12. And then I'm going to look at a, a number of passages in Deuteronomy 6. I mean, there's no passage of the Bible that just answers the question I'm asking this morning, how do we evangelize your children? I mean, we, we have to look at numbers of passages to understand that. But this passage comes close, I think, to really, or the closest of in one section of Scripture addressing this topic. So beginning in verse 1, chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God's concern for future generations is that they know him, that they fear him, that they love him, that they serve him. 
And that concern is as relevant to us today as it was here in Deuteronomy to these parents who first heard this message, that as you go over, ensure that you, your son, and your son's son know all that's happened and walk in the goodness of the deliverance, the gospel, we could say, the deliverance from Egypt that you have experienced. This is a message, this is a theme that is absolutely as relevant to us today as it was to these individuals in Deuteronomy 6. I mean, the studies, they're they're frightening. The studies, they're concerning. They are sobering that just keep emerging. I see these different studies coming out fairly regularly about the loss of young people from the evangelical church. And, And the numbers differ based on the surveys or how the questions are asked, I'm sure. But in general... Every survey I've seen says that the majority of children that grow up in evangelical churches, and when I say evangelical, I mean like us. I mean people that preach the gospel, people that believe the word of God. I'm not talking about liberal churches. I'm talking about churches that believe in personal conversion, believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we need to be converted. Most of the ones that I've read all show that a majority of church kids don't make it to church adults. So the majority of the people that are in a children's ministry class Uh, that are at a vacation Bible school, that are at a youth camp, that are attending church, that are in a Sunday morning service, when they're adults, they will not be doing so. The numbers I've seen are as low as about 60%. uh, As high, there's a Southern Baptist study that says 88%. Um, There's a Southern Baptist study that says 88% of evangelical kids are not evangelical adults um, and don't make it. So I don't know what the numbers are. If we want to be really conservative, we could say more than half. That would be conservative and accurate of kids in the U.S. church, in the U.S. evangelical church. And while, you know, it's young for us, we've just seen a few kids. Our church is young, so we've only seen a few kids move from, you know, teen years to adulthood or whatever. Uh, And our numbers don't reflect those exact numbers, but we are certainly not immune. (laughs) Absolutely not immune. So this is a very real subject for us and for um, for us to consider today, looking at evangelism in the home. Mission to the next generation. There's a lot of emphasis on seeking to be missional today, and I would say that the, that should start with being a missional parent and seeking to pass the gospel on to the next generation. Well, the first observation from this passage is that it starts with the parents. It starts with the parents. Passing on a knowledge of God doesn't start with a concern for kids. So whenever we read those numbers, whatever they are, 50%, 80%, 130%, I don't know, but let's say more than 50%, whatever the numbers are, we shouldn't think first with a concern for children. We should think first with a concern for parents. That really should be our first concern. That's the concern here. He doesn't start with the next generation. He starts with the present generation. Verse 2, well, verse 1, he says, this is the commandment. The rules the Lord your God has commanded you. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. You, that's what it says. That you may fear the Lord your God, comma, you. In case there's any question, you may fear the Lord your God. So the real question for the evangelical church today in America, the real question for us in this room today, is, is not what about the kids, it's what about us. Do I fear the Lord? Because that's where he starts, with the parents. Do you fear the Lord? You're called to fear the Lord. Do I fear the Lord? Do I know God? Am I calling my children to a life that's not real to me? 
Am I calling them to live actively serving Christ in a way that I'm not? That's the starting place. Now, our lives won't save our children. Your child will not be saved because of your righteousness. However, he will be exasperated by your hypocrisy. The Bible makes clear that our children will not be saved by our righteousness, but they can be exasperated by our hypocrisy. That's what the book of uh, Ephesians, Paul talks about bringing up our children, that we're to bring them up in the Lord, that we're not to provoke them. He puts those as odds. Don't provoke them to anger, or as the NIV says, do not exasperate them, but bring them up. So these are contrasting contrasting realities. Don't exasperate the next generation. Don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up to know the Lord. And there may be a lot of ways that we can exasperate, but a primary way that I'm aware that I can exasperate my children is by requiring of them and preaching to them something that's not real to me. Requiring them to live in a way that I'm unwilling to live myself. See, if we skip the you, if we read this passage, verse 2, bringing you this command... For your son and your son's son. If we skip the first generation, then the result will be exasperation. The result will be a generation that does not follow God because the previous generation did not follow God. And I think when it comes to the idea of evangelizing our children, that, that I, I don't know that there's a more important starting place than here. How has the gospel affected us? Look down at verse 6. He reemphasizes this there. These words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. But you get the order. He doesn't say all that stuff back at Sinai. Make sure the kids get that. This is what he says. Make sure all that stuff back at Sinai, make sure that's on your heart. Make sure this is real to you. And then teach that diligently to your children. There's an important order here, and I, and I, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if the, if, the, um, if the running away from the evangelical church could be in part due to this, because it wasn't really, the gospel wasn't really gripping those who were seeking to pass it on to the next generation. See, here's the point that he's making in this passage, that teaching our children about God is an overflow. It's meant to be an overflow from our own lives. Teaching our children about God is not some detached historical reality that we're just sort of passing on as a family tradition. It's it's not just passing on knowledge that doesn't affect us. I've passed on some knowledge to my kids that I don't care about at all. I've passed on math knowledge that it would be hard for me to care less than some of the things I've passed on to them regarding math because I don't really like it. It just doesn't, okay? No offense, okay, if you're a math teacher or whatever, I don't mean to offend you, but that's real. I've passed along some things that just don't really grip me. They're just, you just need to sort of pass that stuff along. But this is not in the category like that. This must be an overflow from our lives. We're to pass along a reality that has changed us. He's talking about that, that you should fear the Lord. That is a heart response to God. That's not detached. That's living in awe and living in awareness of the holiness of God. 
such that we live in the fear of him. Later, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, that we are to pass on a faith that is characterized by our love, our heart connection with God, and absorbing an absorbing awareness of the reality of God. That's what is in view here. He's reminding these believers that God delivered them and has called them to live in an active faith in him. And the reality is, I just won't teach my child to fear God if I don't. I just won't teach my child to love God if I don't. I may teach them facts about God, and actually those facts, God will use those facts to save them. It's not my righteousness that saves them. But ultimately, the goal is that I am to embrace and be gripped by these realities. Now, obviously, none of us fear God, love God, serve God perfectly. We fail. We sin. These very truths that he's just talked about. I mean, we just spent 11 weeks on the Ten Commandments and realized, wow, Christ is glorious for keeping all those because we didn't come close. And praise God that he died for our sins and failures. (coughs) Excuse me, because they were worse than we imagined. So we obviously fail, but even our failures can be redemptive if we respond in the fear of God. So it's not saying be a perfect parent, but even recognize in our failures, that's our time to recognize that we need a Savior and to communicate that to our children, our own humility, our own confession of sin. That's redemptive. That is fearing the Lord. It's not saying be absolutely perfect because none of us are, but it is saying that when we fail, we even pass on a fear of the Lord which is characterized by humble confession and repentance and an acknowledgement that we need a Savior, that we're coming alongside our children and say, it's not us passing on the reality that you need a Savior, it's us communicating that we need a Savior. That's living in the fear of the Lord, living, loving God, living in the reality, absorbing our hearts so that we pass that on. It's not talking about perfection, but an overall pattern of faithfulness to God, which is characterized even in our failures. An overall pattern of experiencing God. Is the gospel real to me before I am passing that on? That you may fear the Lord. You. It's as if he just says you. He says it twice to catch their attention. Sometimes when a ball is fumbled, it's not the, just that the running back lost the grip on the ball. Sometimes it's that the quarterback didn't have proper control of the ball when he sought to hand it off. So we want to ensure that, that we have a grip on the gospel, or a better way to say that is the gospel has a grip on us. So that the goal is what we're passing on has affected us. It's an experiential reality that shows up. Again, I, I'm going to say this, this is probably the fifth time because this is important. Shows up even in our failures. The gospel is on display in our failures, not just when we are obeying the scripture, but even when we fail by humility and by confession and by walking humbly in our need of a savior, we're able to pass that on to the next generation. So the first thing is it starts with the parents. Passing on the faith starts with the parents. The second thing is the parents are called to be evangelists. Now, I know he doesn't use the word evangelist in this passage, He uses the word teacher, but when we see what's being taught, especially at the end of the chapter, about their deliverance from Egypt, or as we just read even in verse 12, you know, don't forget that you were delivered out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The 
the big picture of deliverance and salvation in the Old Testament is the exodus, when the people of God are taken out of slavery. That points to the big picture of redemption in the New Testament, which is the big picture of redemption in the whole Bible, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So, I think it's fine to say parents are called to be evangelists because we're supposed to teach our kids many things, but nothing is more important than our announcing to them the good news about the person and the work of God. Telling the next generation about God and what he's done, I think it's implied in verse 2 where he says, you know, this, that you may fear the Lord, you and your son and your son's son. So implied there is that you're the one passing it on, but he's more explicit in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. So verse 6, I command you today, these truths shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall command, I'm sorry, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So the point is that you teach them, you pass them on. The NIV says they're impress this upon their hearts. Impress this. So the teaching that's taking place is that parents are called to be evangelists, proclaiming the good news of God's law and God's deliverance and God's forgiveness to the next generation. Parents have this awesome privilege. Parents have this awesome responsibility. Now, there's help. Right now, the children's ministry is helping. The children's ministry will help you. They will enforce your teaching. They will teach and announce and come alongside of you and proclaim biblical truth. So that's really good. The pastors will help as they get up here and teach these things to the church. So we're here to help you, Um, not only in this way, but in other ways, personally, however we can help you. Um, Other adults will help you uh, along the way to help you pass that gospel on to the next generation. Other Christians can help you, but you as a parent get to be the main, the central evangelist in your kid's life. We get to have that responsibility. And when I communicate that, I want to communicate not only is that a great privilege, but there's a great hope in that because God is going to give you what you need to proclaim the gospel to the next generation. God is going to help you. God will provide working by his spirit, the knowledge and the help. People in the church can help you know how to do that. At the Resource Center is music and books that, will, that you can go over with your kids to communicate the gospel to them. There are resources to help, but God will help you. That's very hopeful. You are adequate for the task. If you know John 3.16, and if you don't flip there and look at it, you are adequate for the task because God has given you to your children, and he wants to use you in spite of what you might feel is limited theological knowledge, in spite of what you might feel is challenges in your own life. God wants to take all of that and use you and work through you, and that's very hopeful. I mean, you may need a doctor to diagnose your kid's illness and treat your child when he's sick. You may need a music teacher to teach your child how to play piano. You may need a coach to teach your kid how to play his own defense. You may need a math teacher to teach your kids algebra, but God has called and equipped you to teach your kids about Jesus Christ and pass on the gospel to them. It's great to get help in all those other areas, but God is going to use you to bring the gospel to the next generation. That's his plan for you, your sons, and your son's sons that that might be real to you, that you might teach them, that you might impress these truths on the next generation. And if we don't have that in view, 
and we don't have that sense of calling in view, then there will be a deficiency in passing the gospel on to the next generation. We must not look to the church as we look to the physician, the piano teacher, or the, the football coach. We must look to the church as helping us do our job. I, when I go see a physician, I'm not asking him to help me. I'm just saying, hey, I, I'm, in, I'm hurting. Let's just get this over. The, what, do, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm looking for help out there. But here, you have the privilege. And the passage goes on to teach that your pulpit for evangelism is just regular life. It's just life. It's doing life in the household. That is where your pulpit is for evangelism. Look at verse 6. These words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. He's talking about regular life. Now, the, the, the statement in there, you shall teach them diligently to your children, I mean, this certainly could have in view, diligent teaching could have in view planned times of teaching. So something like family devotions. And I would recommend a couple things about family devotions. Uh, first of all, uh, if you don't know how to do that, there's no one way to do that. But if you don't know how, just there's help all over the church. Just find another dad. Ask your care group leader. Find someone who looks a little bit more experienced. I mean, they may say to you, I don't know. Let's go get some help together. But, but just ask someone, what do you do? And just get started on it. Here's an observation I have, that young moms are much quicker to ask for help from older moms than young dads are from older dads. I, I, that's an observation I have from life, from my own life, from my wife, comparison of my wife to myself. And she compares far more favorably in that category. So you see what I'm saying? That oftentimes dads just don't ask, don't stop and ask for directions. And moms do. And so you've got a lot of young moms going and asking, how do I get my child to sleep through the night? What do I do about a temper tantrum? How do I prepare a meal? What, how do you get time to do this? And you've got dads saying, hey, I'll figure it out. I, I don't, you know, that's just what we do. We don't stop and ask for directions. Just go get some help. Just ask somebody out here that you respect and that you know, hey, can you talk to me about family devotions? That'd be my number one recommendation, get some help on that. But here's my number two recommendation, just ensure that your family devotions, like the sermons here, always have the gospel in them. Jesus Christ should show up in every family devotion, the grace of God, the forgiveness of Christ, the work of the cross, and we're, we're leading there somehow. We may start with something else, but we're going to ultimately end up with the light on Jesus Christ, even if it's a very brief devotion. Um, that we want to end up with him. So passing the gospel on, and that can happen in definitive times of, uh, of teaching. But it also happens just as you go about your life. Look what it says here. Teach them to your children when you sit in your house. Okay, that could be at dinner time, breakfast time, on the sofa, night time, whenever you sit. So when you sit down, there's an opportunity to talk about that. He's just saying in the regular life. When you walk by the way, what does that mean? When you're driving in your car. When you're driving down the road, that's a great time. Over the years, I've had good conversations driving down the road with my children. So just in your life, going to the grocery store, there's an opportunity to talk about the Lord. There's an opportunity to share something. There's an opportunity to ask a question. Just as you drive is what he says. Well, he says as you walk, but I'm just uh, translating that, just seeking to connect with the culture. Let you know that it's uh, (laughs) driving and not walking right there. Uh, when you lie down, okay, when you go to sleep. When our kids were younger, we would always, or regularly, 
uh, pray with them and, you know, read something when we went to bed. That's a great time when you're lying down to read something from a children's Bible story or whatever it would be, just telling them as they lie down. When they rise up in the morning, for a lot of years we did family devotions at uh, breakfast. That doesn't work with our schedule anymore, but it used to, and so we would do time when we got up maybe. That would be a time to do it. So he's just saying, as you live your life, as you just go about your life, look for opportunities. Why? Because he's called you. He's equipped you. He's gifted you. He's going to use you. So just as you go through your life, when faith is integrated into our life, it's passed on as a natural overflow. When faith is something we do for an hour and a half on Sunday morning only, it's not passed on. A shell, a, a religious deal is passed on, but not a living, vibrant faith. A living, vibrant faith is when I'm encountering God in my life, and it comes up at dinner. It comes up sometime when we're driving on an errand or a trip. It comes up at bedtime. It just comes up. Why? Because God wants us to li- love him, fear him, live for him. And I'm the fruit of this kind of evangelism. Because my mom, who's now with the Lord, was a Christian who just lived this way. I mean, I caught so much from her. Just She had an overflow of life. Now, she took us to church. My dad's not a believer. Uh, she was, and she and he was fine with her raising us to know the Lord. So she took us to church. She, she taught our Sunday school class, my Sunday school classes and all that stuff growing up. But she just lived. I just watched her life. She talked to me about Christ. When she needed help, she brought, I'll talk about this next week, she brought me in to meet with the pastor to find out if I was converted and ready to be baptized. We did that a couple times when I was growing up. She went and got help when she needed it. And, and she just passed these things on. I mean, we would rarely, when I was in elementary school, we'd rarely go to a church that she wasn't picking up other kids to go with us. We'd get at the brown-paneled station wagon, and we had a couple stops where she's picking up lost people. She didn't give me a pamphlet on evangelism. She just got all the kids in the neighborhood and said, we're going to take them to hear about Christ. She hosted a backyard Bible school in her backyard to tell the neighbor kids about Jesus. So it's just part of her life. It wasn't, now we're going to have the formal uh, be a Christian time, and we're going to have the talk. And she just, it was an overflow. It was who she was. She loved Jesus, and I saw that. And it was appealing. Not always appealing. I rebelled against some of it, too. But ultimately... God used her preaching the gospel to me in casual ways. She never, like I said, she never had a pulpit or did some kind of a big formal deal. Never did an altar call in the family room with every head bowed and every eye closed. But she led me. She led me through knowing Jesus Christ by her life. Okay, I've talked way too long on this because I think it's pretty important that I say, what do we need to say? And I've got a little bit of time to say that. Uh, So I'm going to try to be very compact. What are we to teach them? if we're to pass the gospel on. That's the how, the who and the how. The who is you. The how is as you live your life through scheduled and informal times, the overflow of God in your life. And then what do we want to communicate? Well, first of all, we want to tell them about God. Becoming a Christian begins with understanding the nature and character of God. He is great. He is majestic. He is powerful. He is all-knowing. He is eternal. He's beyond what you can imagine. He is not manageable. He is not just your buddy to help you out. He is God Almighty. And if this passage says anything, it says to make sure the next generation knows that God is holy. That is his concern, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord, you and your son. 
His major concern is that they not just pass on a self-improvement plan for the next generation's life, but that they are aware that they are dealing with a holy God, the fear of God. Make sure they fear God. That's the primary concern. Make sure they're aware. Well, how do we fear God? We're aware of his holiness. We are aware of his holiness. We want our children to understand that God is pure. God is completely without sin. God is righteous. I mean, he's just reviewed. This is the God that shook the mountain and you heard his voice. It says in the chapter before, has any people ever heard his voice and lived? You heard his voice. And he wants to ensure that they pass that on. God is radically different than we are. There is something frightening about encountering the holy God of the universe. And it is this aspect of God's holiness that often doesn't, it just often doesn't appear in church kid evangelism. The awareness of need. If you are at that mountain and you are hearing the voice of God, you are aware of your need for a Savior. And if you read that part of the Bible, you are aware of your need for a Savior. And so there needs to be a communication, you don't have to raise your voice as I am right now, but there needs to be a communication that the goal is not just to make your life better and to get you to heaven. There is something here where children need to understand they are in trouble. In trouble before the holy God. All of us are in trouble before the holy God of the universe. They had thunder, lightning, trumpet, a mountain ablaze. We have the Word of God and the Spirit of God speaking through that that comes with an equal arresting power to make someone aware of their need for a Savior. Now, I'm not talking about trying to scare kids in some kind of inappropriate way, but children must have some sense, some sense of the awesome holiness of God. You cannot read far in the Bible without encountering the holiness of God. The fundamental fact about God is that he is holy. He is different than we are. He is other. He is other. Now, he has come to us in Jesus, and he is near, but he is fundamentally other. And that has to be communicated. I think it's the primary missing element for the average church kid is that there's not an awareness of the holiness of God. That sometimes an adult who has lived a life of sin in rebellion against God, when they, an older teen or an adult, when they hear the gospel for the first time and are made aware of the holiness of God, they're like, woe is me. Wow. I had no idea. I had no idea that I am in deep stuff. I'm in deep trouble here. I had no idea this is who God is. But, but children can be inoculated where they just are so familiar. And we want them to hear about God. I just said talk about him all the time. But there's just a lack of an awareness of the holiness of God. I mean, good things. They've grown up on felt board stories. They've grown up on Bible songs. They've grown up on the, the Christian culture. And there's very, very many good things there that we're grateful for. But they may have never realized that God's holy. And not only is he holy, but he requires perfection from them. Church, for church kids, Christianity is often manageable. It's moralism. It's just do these things. And there's a lack of an awareness of 
the great need for God. And that really leads to the next thing. They need to know about God. They need to know about sin. Once they see the holiness of God, children must understand that they are sinners. God's holiness comes through his law. And that's what we just went through the Ten Commandments, showing that God's law reveals our need for a Savior. Look at verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. As someone who is a Christian, that's a goal for us to live by, and the Spirit of God is going to help us more and more live according to that. For someone that's not a Christian, they need to read that and say, that's not doable. (laughs) It needs to be pointed out that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is not doable. You will not do this. This is a statement that should reveal, is brought to reveal our need for a Savior. Now, once we meet the Savior, we talked about this in the Ten Commandments, once we meet the Savior, then that law functions as something that God is working in our heart and conforming us to greater obedience to. But someone who's not a Christian yet should not get the idea that Christianity is, I can do that. It's manageable. And this law, calling them to love the Lord to God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that should cause us to cry out saying, I need some, I need a savior. I can't do that. See, what happens is, for a lot of church kids, if they don't If they're not aware of the holiness of God, if they're not aware of their own sin, if they're not aware that perfection is the standard, then they will, like you and me, like we often do, just assume we're not that bad. We'll just make comparisons to the other kids. We'll just look elsewhere, and we will look to the other kids in the school, on the sports team, on the block, wherever they're encountering the other kids in the church. They'll just look to the other kids and assume, I'm not that bad. I thank God that I'm not like those people. This is the way a lot of church kids view life. All those people out there are the bad people. And what, what that is not raising a next generation of believers, that's raising Pharisees. That is the prayer of the Pharisee. I thank you, I'm not like them. The prayer of the person that is justified is, woe is me. Lord, have mercy on me. We want the next generation being raised to say, Lord, have mercy on me, not... I'm clean, neat, tidy, sanitized, and not like all those people. That's not passing on the faith to the next generation. That's passing on Phariseeism. And those little Pharisees grow up and find out, man, all the rules weren't so great anyway. I'm headed to the world. It didn't bring me anything because it was just an external thing. They didn't have a new, new heart in Jesus Christ because they didn't understand the God who appeared at Sinai and they didn't understand the God who rescued his people and was worthy of Uh, all of their love and heart because of his great mercy and because of his great grace. That's why we want to emphasize applying the scripture to the heart. If it's just external behavior, I can look out there in all the culture and most of our kids can say, I'm better off than them, I'm probably okay. But if it's the heart, love the Lord your God with all my heart, soul, and strength, all my might, all the time. Is my heart inclined towards God all the time? Or are there times my heart is inclined to me? I may not be robbing banks. I may not be sleeping around. I may not be, you know, doing whatever, uh, taking drugs. But let's forget about the external behavior for a minute, and let's talk about are there any other gods before God in my heart? That's where the law comes to the heart and applies and shows us our need for a Savior. That's why we don't want just manageable. We're not just trying to raise mannerly kids. 
We're trying to raise kids that see their need for a Savior and are transformed to the, from the inside by the power of the gospel so that mannerliness flows outside of them because of love of neighbor, not because of management of the rules that make me a Christian. So we, I'm all for manners. I didn't just diss manners. I, but ultimately, we want to see manners come from the right place, from a transformed heart, and not merely from someone who's doing the external Christian standards or whatever it might be. So we want to see our need of a Savior. I mean, look in this passage in verse 13. It says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and his name you sh- by his name you shall swear. You shall not go out after other gods. For the Lord your God is in your midst as a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. This is what God said pass on to the next generation. Again, I'm not talking about like the horror movie approach to evangelism. Like everybody, oh, scared and startled. And, you know, that's not helpful either. Then everybody doesn't really know God or want to know God. They just want to avoid hell. So that's not the goal either. But there must be this sense that we need a Savior. This is what God says for your son and your grandchildren. That's what he says needs to be passed on. (coughs) We don't want to hide that from our children. We want our children appropriately by the Spirit of God, not by our manipulation, but by the Spirit of God, to feel a burden for their sin and to be aware of their peril and to be aware of their need for a Savior. And the way they feel the burden of their sin is by applying the law to the heart and not merely to polishing up and neatening up our external behavior, but starting with the heart. So they need to know about God. They need to know about sin. They need to know about the work of Christ. When those foundations are in a life, then the work of Christ means all this more. God is not only loving, but he is, uh, I'm sorry, he's not only holy, but he is loving. Look at verse 20. We didn't read this far, but look down at this. Verse 20. When your son asks you, okay, next generation, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out and showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes. So when he does ask about why do we do the things we do, why don't we do the certain other things, when he began to ask about that, point him to the rescue, the deliverance, the good news, the work of God in the Old Testament, in, in, the, in the Exodus, in the New Testament, in the work of Jesus Christ. Pass that on. Let your kids know, wow, we were rescued. We could not rescue ourselves. We were in deep trouble, stuck as slaves. But, but we weren't slaves to Pharaoh, we were slaves to sin, trapped by our sin, offending a holy God. But Jesus came and rescued us. He pulled us out of our sin because he gave his life. He died in our place. And as he died in our place, God judged our sin. God poured out his anger and wrath on our sin. He poured that out on his son, Jesus Christ. So that just as these people were saved from Pharaoh, we, that just pointed to the reality, we were saved from sin. God forgave. God gave us a new life. God forgives those who will trust in him. It is by grace. We must ensure that grace stays amazing. That there is always the factor to the gospel. Wow, look what we were rescued from. There should be that sense 
of, of it's unbelievable almost what Christ has done for us. We want children to see that they're helpless to save themselves, but Christ saves them. Christ is faithful. Anyone who turns to Jesus, he will never cast them away, he said. Anyone who comes to me, I will welcome them. You may come to Jesus and have your sins forgiven. You may be a new person. You may be rescued from sin and taken to be with Christ for eternity. So we want to talk about the work of Jesus Christ and make that central in all of our communication. And so that happens all the time. That happens when we're disciplining our children. That's a great time to point out need for a Savior, and Christ comes to rescue us. When we're grateful, when we're dialoguing about the Sunday service, we're grateful for something God's done in our lives, we can always point to what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I've got about one minute for a very important topic, but I can talk about this next Sunday night. Uh, We need to teach our children how to respond to this gospel. And that is through faith and repentance. Our children must turn from their sin and really believe. Uh, Only God gives a new heart, but he will give a new heart through the communication of the gospel. It's through the communication of the holiness of God, our sin, the work of Jesus Christ to die for our sins on the cross, to be resurrected, to defeat the power of sin, and that we are to believe in him as our substitute. As that message comes forth, that's the message God uses to grant new life to a heart. Then our children are able to believe, and our children turn, are to turn to Christ for what he has done. They're to turn from sin and to trust him. They are renouncing their own works, and they're trusting him as their savior. For church kids, repentance means not just repenting from their wickedness, which it is, but oftentimes for them it's repenting from their goodness because what blocks them from the Savior is not an awareness of their, of their sin, but it is a supposed awareness of their goodness, which makes them okay. And so God needs to save them from the, what they perceive as their goodness, which is not goodness. Because if you think you can be okay with God by your works, you have something that you've substituted in the place of the gospel. That's not good at all. But if we look and compare ourselves to other people, we can think we're okay. So we need to repent from our trusting in ourselves and our works and our obedience and renounce them as filthy before God. That's what the scripture says. Those are filthy when they are used to make us right with God. So we turn from our, our goodness, turn from our, our supposed goodness, i put that in quotation marks, turn from our sin and trust in Christ. We come under his rulership. We're to count the cost of becoming a follower of Christ and to believe and to follow him. And this point here, this is where it's, I think this is the crux of the matter to to know when a child is really converted, because this is hard for younger children to understand, and even if they do understand it, oftentimes it doesn't emerge as a reality in their life until uh, sometimes later in their life. So I'll cover next week how how do we judge a child's conversion because uh, we do need to evaluate in some level. But I would say, ultimately, um, I mean, the short answer is we evaluate it exactly as we would evaluate an adult conversion in junior form. And there's going to be an immaturity there. There's going to be a youthfulness there. There's going to be an inarticulacy there compared to an adult. But this, the same spirit of God that would work in an adult by converting them, that same spirit works in a similar way in children. So we'll talk about, about that next week. We share the gospel in faith. We trust God to give them new life. We're confident that he will do that in his time. 
and let's just continue on and on to communicate that gospel to them. Don't lose sleep trying to nail down assurance of salvation among a very young child or even a not-so-young child. Just continue to communicate the gospel. Continue to toss seed. Continue to trust God to water that seed and bring growth in his time. Ours is to fear the Lord ourselves. Ours is to love the Lord ourselves. Ours is to be gripped by the gospel ourselves so that it overflows and that we communicate the truth of God, the truth of sin, the truth of the person and work of Christ, and the truth that we're called to respond to him. We are just to continue to communicate that, to continue to communicate that. And my experience as a kid and as a father of four is that sometimes a kid will know their moment of regeneration, sometimes they won't. Some of my kids can point to the time when they were regenerated. Some can't, but know they are now. That's kind of the way I would be. They know they are now. And and there's a verse on that. I mean, that's the way Jesus tells Nicodemus it will work. He says the wind blows, and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but you see its effects. That's, That's what he says being born again is. You may not know the moment, but you'll see the effects. You'll see the effects if the wind has blown and given life to a dead heart. And when he has, we just continue with the gospel because that's the Christian life. Grow, mature, respond in the gospel. That's what we pass on to the next generation. Uh, Okay. I've gone over, but I want to do something that's important. I didn't tell you this, Pete. If you disagree with this, feel free to disagree in front of everybody. That's fine. Uh... Here's how I want to close. I, I want to pray for the dads in the church. And I know I've gone five minutes over, but I think this is important enough. I, I think we can go a couple more minutes. I think this is important. I hope it is. I want to pray for the dads because I was evangelized by a mom. So moms evangelize too. That's, that's who the evangelist was for me. I'm not minimizing the role of moms at all. But as dads, I don't know how you think about your role, but I, I think this should be a category of our thinking. Chief role in my house uh, is evangelist. I mean, that's really, I, I'm to pastor my family, so to speak, kind of shepherd the kids, lead my wife, care for her, sacrifice for her. So to, but, but communicate the gospel is the most important thing. You know, if your kid learns how to change the oil in his car and balance his checkbook and eat his fruits and veggies and doesn't learn the, doesn't learn the gospel, then, then, then I failed, frankly. That's the most important thing. So I'm going to ask, could all the dads just come down here? And could we just as a church pray for this privilege and this responsibility for the men in our church? So if you're a dad or if you're a grandpa, you've got a privilege too. Um, let's all just come down here. And uh, you know, if you're physically able, could we take a knee? If you're not able, that's fine. But if you're physically able, could we bow before the Lord, recognizing our need and cry out that God will help us and that he will water the seeds we've sown, and uh, that he will use us to, re- to transfer the gospel to the next generation. God, we come before you today as desperate men in this church. God, first of all, we're aware of our own sin. As we read this passage, we start and say, God, we haven't feared you many times. And we've parented as those who don't fear the Lord, and we've parented in our own strength. And God, I confess, I've been lazy Uh, Many times with my children, angry, selfish. So we just communicate our sin to you today, and we ask you to forgive us for our sins. And we thank you that you don't save our children based on our righteousness, but based on Christ's righteousness. So we come and we say, wash us today, Lord. And would you not only wash us, but would you empower us to start today afresh? We know it's never too late. 
We pray that we would start today afresh communicating about you, fearing you ourselves, and passing that on to the next generation. God, we ask you that every kid represented in every family in this church, every kid represented who's a child of every dad up here, that you would save every one of those kids. Lord, that the gospel would go to the next generation. Only you can impart new life. We want to be faithful preachers and livers, but we know that only you, God, can do that. We want to walk it out. We want to share it, but only you save. God, I pray particularly for the dads up here who have a broken heart today, perhaps because of a child who's not a Christian. I pray that you would grant them faith and hope and that you would call them to be persistent in sharing the gospel. I pray for any dad up here that's confident in our own strength, that you'd break us and make us confident in your strength. I pray that we'd be a brotherhood that helps one another. I pray for any dad up here who doesn't know how to share the gospel, how to do a family devotion. Give them the humility to ask one of the guys up here. Lord, help us as a brotherhood to help one another. Lord, we realize the next generation is precious to you, precious to us, and we ask that you do a holy work in this church. We pray that the statistics wouldn't hold true here. We ask you that not one child represented in this church would not be born again by your spirit and your power. Help us to live faithfully and to share humbly and truthfully and watch you work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.com dot o-r-g